Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles tonight to Acts chapter 10. You know, one of the things that um, uh, we want to uh, do, endeavor to do in, uh, in healing school is to help people to receive their healing. Now, a lot of times people think that, um, that, that healing works in only one way. There's only one method or manner in which to receive healing. And a lot of times people have the idea that that's because of a, a special anointing that somebody has, a minister may have, to, uh, to minister to the sick or, or whatever the case is. And so a lot of times people are coming in and they're wanting to take one shot to have hands laid on them and, and that be it. But the reality is uh, most of the people in Jesus' ministry is anointed as he was, and the Bible says he had the Spirit of God without measure. Most of the people that the Bible gives us record of in the four Gospels were healed on their own faith. Well, Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So what that tells us is if we're going to follow Jesus' example, uh, we're going to get more people te- healed through teaching the word of God concerning healing than we are laying hands on the sick and just hoping for a special anointing or a special power of God to manifest. As such, uh, one of the things that I endeavor to do, and I guess I got this from Brother Hagin. Brother Hagin always um, uh, approached the Word of God kind of from a lawyer's standpoint. He was always arguing his case, and, and he, was, he admitted so. He, um, uh, he said that that was the approach that he took and, and, uh, and, and followed. He was always trying to prove the Word of God to people so that they could receive. Well, in doing that in the area of healing... You, uh, you come up on certain things that you find are roadblocks, common roadblocks to healing. Roadblocks to people being able to receive and, and uh, uh, accept and take hold of the things that God has provided for us through the work of Jesus. So tonight I want to talk to you about the, one of the primary or the primary roadblock to healing, and that is concerning God's will to heal. So turn with me over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 tells us the story of when Peter, this is after the, the church has been born, Jesus has been raised from the dead, the, um, uh, the Holy Ghost has been poured out on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and so forth. This is about 8 to 10 years after the day of Pentecost as related in Acts chapter 2. And it tells us about how that Peter was supernaturally sent down to a man named Cornelius' house. And uh, Cornelius had seen in a vision to send for Peter who could tell him and his household how they could be saved. An angel appeared in this vision and talked to Cornelius. It's not the angel's job to preach the gospel, so he told Cornelius to send to where Peter was and have Peter come to preach to him. Well, after a series of events, all supernatural in nature, Peter gets down there and hears the story about the vision and the angel and what the angel said and how they obeyed what the angel said to do. And then he related his side of the things. He had had a vision himself. Uh, where God was speaking to him, telling him that the blood of Jesus cleansed the Gentiles just as much as it did the Jews. And so after comparing notes, Peter starts preaching to them. And in preaching to them about Jesus, for the purpose of them being saved, he preached in Acts 10, chapter 10, verse 38, about Jesus, saying this. He said, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing. Well, healing must be good who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, I want you to notice something. If we can take the Bible literally, and if we can't, we need to throw it away. If you can't take the Bible literally, then you're going to have to figure out what's literal and what's not literal. That means you become a God to yourself because you know more than the inspired word of God. We believe the Bible is written, uh, well, the Bible claims to be inspired by the Holy Ghost himself. So if the Holy Ghost is not giving us literal information... And how can we literally accept it as being a a foundation for our lives? Well, you couldn't. 
So if we believe that the Bible is literal in what Peter is relating to, the, to the, um, those gathered in Cornelius' house and accept it as being instructive for us, it's telling us without question that everybody Jesus healed was sick because they were oppressed of the devil. Read verse 38 again with me. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power who went about doing good and healing. Who did he heal? All that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. See, one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest roadblocks that people have, obstacles that people have to receive their healing, is that they don't know for sure. They're not convinced that God hasn't brought this sickness on them for some purpose. And where did we get that idea? Well, the church has been preaching it for years. The idea is is a thought that came from the devil, certainly. But there are certain things that people, um, ignorant, and I don't mean that in a derogatory term i just mean without knowledge of the the scriptures themselves the original text and so forth take the translation particularly the king james translation through the old testament about where it says for example in deuteronomy chapter 28 where god says i will take all sickness from you that i put upon the egyptians well people take that translation and they'll say well if god put the the uh, uh, sickness on the egyptians then he could put sickness on me too But they don't realize that in the Hebrew language, which the Old Testament was written in, the Hebrew has a permissive verb rather than a causative verb that's used in verses like this. It literally says, I will put or allow none of the diseases upon you, which I allowed upon the Egyptians. Well, and then people will argue, well, if God didn't exactly cause sickness to happen, then at least he permitted it. Well, why did he permit it on the case of the Egyptians? Because they refused to hear the word of God. There's always a consequence for disobeying the word. They were people without a covenant toward God to begin with. And when the word of the Lord came unto them, if if by nobody else but Moses speaking to Pharaoh, then they rejected the word of God. God's always set a separation between his people and the world. So the things that belong to the church don't necessarily belong to the world. Now they can if the world comes comes in and becomes a part of the church. But God's always set a separation between his people and the people of the world. So many people will take verses in the Old Testament that, that, um, uh, that are written originally in the permissive sense and trans- but translated into the King James in the causative sense and they come up with the idea that God makes people sick. For example, there's a verse of Scripture in the Old Testament that said concerning Saul, and the Spirit of the Lord departed from him and an evil spirit from the Lord came upon him. Well, I didn't know evil spirits came from the Lord, did you? If evil spirits come from the Lord and we're supposed to accept everything God has, why don't we pray for more evil spirits? Same thing with sickness. If sickness comes from God and every gift from God is a good gift, shouldn't we be praying for more sickness? But even the people in the world, in the, the, body, of the, uh, the body of Christ in the modern world that are saying that God made them sick are all trying to get away from the sickness that they say God gave them, aren't they? I've never found anybody that said God made me sick that's not going to the doctor. What are they going to the doctor for? If God gave it to them, shouldn't they be glad they've got it? Shouldn't they be asking God for a double portion? Folks, it doesn't make sense. See, something tells them that even if if, uh, religion has taught them that God made them sick, something tells them that what they need to do is get rid of the sickness that's attacked their bodies. So... The church has come up with ideas, mostly through 
improper or incorrect translation, poor translations of the Old Testament scriptures, they've come up with the idea that God makes people sick. Well, let me ask you this. If God made people sick, how come Jesus couldn't find any of them? He found a lot of sick people, but he never found anybody that said God made them sick. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Notice it says that healing is good. If healing is good, how can sickness be good? And if sickness can't be good, it can't be from God. Because James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In other words, it means God's only good. He can only give good gifts. Well, healing can't be good and sickness be good too, can it? How would you know which one is which? Now, I had a problem with this verse of Scripture. When I first started hearing and, uh, and heard it from Brother Hagin, and I accepted it to be true because I believed him. I trusted him. And the only reason I trusted him was because I knew something about his ministry. I knew something about how God used him. At that point in time, I, I didn't know him, hadn't met him. But I believed what he was saying is true, but I couldn't reconcile other things that I believed to be true that I got from the church that I grew up in. For example, John chapter 9. Turn with me over to John chapter 9. This is one of the biggest problems I had, accepting the reality that sickness is from the devil and not from God. Even though I had verses of Scripture like John, uh, like Acts chapter 10, verse 38 that we just read, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Makes it very clear in Acts 10.38 that Peter's understanding after having been with Jesus for three years, after having been filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, after having been used by God in miraculous ways, the man at the beautiful gate of the temple in Acts chapter 3 being healed and so forth, other miracles that happened through him as well. He had a very clear understanding that sickness was of the devil and because God was with Jesus, because he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, Jesus broke the power of sickness over people's lives. And he called it doing good. Peter's very clear on that. Well, I couldn't get that clear. And part of the reason I couldn't get that clear is because of wrong teaching I had received in the church. John chapter 9. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I want you to stop right there and think about what the disciples know. We can identify that they know something and there's something else that they don't know. What do they know? They know more than most Christians know. Jesus' disciples walking through the earth with him here in the flesh knew more as unsaved than most Christians know today. They knew that sickness and sin were attached or connected. Now, what don't they know? They don't know whose sin. They know that the man is, is blind because of sin. Sin's got to be the problem. But they just don't know whose sin it is. Well, if you could get the church to understand that, they'd be miles ahead of the game. I want you to understand something, folks. Jesus does not say you're wrong about your idea. Jesus does not answer and say, no, 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 sin is not, uh, sin is not attached to this sickness whatsoever. You're wrong in your thinking that somebody had to have sinned. Jesus answers the question they ask. He says, neither has this man sinned nor his parents. 
So what does that mean? It means it was somebody else's sin. Well, who else was involved? Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says this. It says, wherefore, as by one man, the one man is talking about is Adam. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. So death passed unto all men or upon all men. In other words, Jesus confirms what Paul told us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. That the problem is not necessarily the individual sin, neither the man's sin nor his parents' sin. But sin is the cause. Whose sin was the cause? Adam's sin. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden when God gave them commandment not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He said, of all the, fruit, of all the trees in the garden you can freely eat. But this one you may not eat thereof. For in the day you eatest thereof, you shall surely die. Now what, what happened when they disobeyed God? Can everybody agree that disobedience is sin? Well, then let's paraphrase what he said. What, Jesus, or what God said to Adam and Eve in the garden is, in the day that you sin, you shall surely die. In the day that you sin, you shall surely die. In the day that you sin, you shall surely die. In other words, there's a law, a spiritual law that God's revealing to his people, to Adam and Eve, his created ones. There's a spiritual law that's called the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. And God is telling Adam and Eve, these are my words, not his, but in so many words, he's telling Adam and Eve, the law of sin and death will begin to operate if you open the door to it through disobedience. The law of sin and death will begin to operate if you open the door through disobedience. Now, we can all agree that that's true, can't we? Now, we could argue about whether or not to what degree perhaps uh, Adam understood what the law of sin and death would be, what spiritual death, dying you shall die, means the day that thou eatest thereof you shall surely die. Did he know what that meant? Did he know what spiritual death was? Did he know the, the ramifications of spiritual death? I don't think so. But we have no way to prove it either way. But we do know that he had the word of God and that word of God was what God expected him to keep. Whether he understood the ramifications or not, whether he understood the results in its entirety or not, God expected him to do what he told him to do. You know, I know a lot of Christians that won't obey the word because they don't know what the results will be. They've got all kinds of questions. Well, I believe God wants me to do this, but I don't know what's going to happen. God didn't expect you to know what's going to happen to obey. Obedience is required when God makes you aware of what you're supposed to do. So the law of sin and death is that which came upon mankind, not just Adam and Eve, but upon mankind because they opened the door to the law of sin and death through sin, through their own personal sin. So when Jesus says, neither is this man's sin nor his parents, Jesus has to be referring back to the original sin which opened the door to sin and death, the law of sin and death. Can it, would anybody argue that sickness is not part of the law of sin and death? Would anybody argue that sickness is not a part of the law of sin and death? It's a very easy thing to identify. If sickness is not part of the law of sin and death, that sickness had to be a part of the Garden of Eden in the first six days of creation. Because God is clearly telling Adam, things are going to change if you disobey. If you sin, things are going to change. Well, you know the story of creation. 
God spent six days creating the light and the day and the night and the stars in the sky and the plants and the animals and all the other kind of good things that we have here on the earth. The Bible says at the end of six days, God made an end of everything that he created. Literally, that means he did not create anything else after the first six days. Therefore, if God created sickness, it's got to be created in one of the first six days. Which day was it? No, the Bible says God looked at the earth at the end of those six days and there was nothing that could hurt man. There was nothing that could harm man. There was no sickness or disease to be found. And God said it was very good. Now, I want you to get something here, folks. It was the will of God for the earth to be free from sickness. When he created the earth, it was his will for the earth to be free from sickness in any and every form. That's why he didn't create sickness. Yeah, but things changed. Yeah, things changed. Has God changed? Now, what did God know about creation? He knew that he was creating the earth for a specific purpose, and that was as a home and a habitation, a dwelling place for his man, Adam, for mankind. So what does the will of God, what is the will of God identified by creation? That God wanted man to live free from sickness. Things changed when Adam sinned. He opened the door to sin and death, the law of sin and death. Death passed upon all men. Spiritual death passed upon all men. And the consequences of spiritual death passed upon all men too. But has God changed as far as his will for mankind? The Bible says God said himself, I'm God, I change not. That means it's impossible. Please hear the way I'm saying this. That means it's impossible for God to want anybody sick on this earth. You'd have to deny the truth of the scripture that God changes not in order to identify with or believe that God wants anybody sick in any time, in any form whatsoever. He didn't want it that way when he created the earth. His will never changes, so he doesn't want it that way now. So back to John chapter 9. The disciples asked Jesus, Master, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus answered, I'm going to read from the King James. I'm going to read it down according to the the punctuation that we have. Jesus answered, comma, neither has this man sinned, comma, nor his parents, colon, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, period. I must work the works of him that sent me, comma, while it is day, colon, the night cometh when no man can work, period. As long as I am in the world, comma, I am the light of the world, period. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you knowledgeable enough in the Greek and the Hebrew text to know that there's no punctuation in either of the languages? What does that mean? That means the translators added the punctuation. Now, how are translations, how do you come up with translations? How did the King James translation come about? Well, every translation comes about by one of two things or in in two different ways. They're translated, the original texts are translated by men according to two principles. Number one, their knowledge of the language. Number two, their understanding of the nature of God. Every translation is dependent on the knowledge of the translator's language. Or I'm sorry, the, the knowledge that the translator has of the original language that it was written in, the text was originally written in, number one. And number two, their understanding of who God is and how God works. That means the the punctuation they put in there is not according to the language itself. 
It's according to their understanding of what's being said. Now, what do they understand is being said? They understand that Jesus is saying, neither is this man sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In other words, they understand that Jesus is saying, the reason this man is sick or blind is so that I can work a miracle. And that's the way I was taught in the church growing up. But folks, let me suggest something to you. If the translators put the punctuation in these verses, according to their understanding of God, if we, and I would submit to you that we do, but if we have greater understanding of God, who he is and what he does, is it not appropriate that we should punctuate these verses according to that greater understanding of God? You're not changing the text. You're changing the understanding of the meaning. So let me suggest to you it should be punctuated this way. Neither is this man's sin nor his parents, period. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. See, if you put the punctuation that way, Jesus is simply answering the question, neither has this man sinned nor his parents. And then he talks about what he's going to do. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me. Now, I can prove to you that's true. Because all you have to do is look at what Jesus did and identify what were the works of God. Well, what happens? Jesus heals the man's blindness. So what were the works of God that Jesus was sent to do? To heal blind people. Or generally to heal the sick. Now I would also submit to you that if God made this man blind. Jesus is working contrary to his father's will. Because God's will never changes. Oh but no Pastor Mike. God's temporary will was for him to be blind. God doesn't have a temporary will. If it was God's will for this man to be born blind, then Jesus has just worked contrary to his father's will, which means we've got some pages we have to tear out of the Bible. Because Jesus said, I only do the things I see my father do. What do we see Jesus making people blind? Do we see Jesus making people sick? No, instead we see Jesus Jesus healing the sick, people that were blind and lame and, and so forth. Why? Because he said he only does what he sees his father do. Furthermore, Jesus said, I only do the will of my father. Well, if it was the will of the father for this man to be born blind, Jesus has not done the will of the father in healing him. Can't have it both ways. It's got to be either one way or the other because God never changes. Now, if we were talking about people, you know, somebody as well-meaning or as, as well-intentioned as they might be, then we could talk about a, uh, somebody that changes their mind. We could talk about somebody that changes their will and changes their purpose. But you can't use that standard when you're talking about God. Not an accept the Bible to be true. If God ever wanted this man to be blind, he always wants him to be blind. But Jesus said, but that the works of the Father might be done, I must work the works of him that sent me. I must work the works of him that sent me. So what works did he do? Well, we already know from Acts chapter 10, verse 38, who made this man sick? Who made him blind? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing 
All that were oppressed of the devil. All that were oppressed of the devil means everybody Jesus healed was oppressed of the devil. Which has to include this guy in John chapter 9. So it's impossible for God to be the one making this man blind. It's impossible. The Holy Ghost tells us in Acts 10.38 that this man was oppressed of the devil. In other words, the sickness, the blindness that had plagued this man since his birth was sent and enforced by Satan himself. But what did Jesus do? Jesus did the works of the Father. What are the works, therefore, of the Father? Healing. Now, isn't it interesting with all the people that say, all the people in the modern day that say that God made them sick or God's got some purpose in, in bringing sickness and disease upon people, Jesus couldn't find a one of them. That's the common refrain among Christians. Well, God must have some purpose in this. All the time they're trying to get relief from sickness and disease and the church is offering, offering them great words of wisdom. God must have some greater purpose in this. Isn't it interesting that Jesus couldn't find any of those? You never find one place, one time, in Jesus dealing with individuals or when Jesus was healing the multitudes. You can never find one time where he, Jesus ever had to stop when somebody came to him to receive healing where he had to stop and pray and find out, is it God's will to heal you? In fact, in Matthew chapter 8, the one time we have where someone questioned the will of Jesus to heal, Jesus was immediately moved with compassion, reached out his hand before the guy even finished talking. The guy said, uh, if, you, if you will, you can heal me. Master, I believe you can, will, you can heal me if you only will. Jesus was moved with compassion and instantly touched him and said, I will be thou clean. Now, we could take that as an example or a principle as well because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Furthermore, the Bible says God, including Jesus, are neither, neither one of them, are respecter of persons. That means what he wants is a blessing for one person. He wants is a blessing for every, every person, everybody. So if Jesus wanted this leper to be healed, they came to him in Matthew chapter 8, and doesn't want you to be healed from whatever the devil is trying to attack you with, then that makes him a respecter of persons. We've got to do away with some other scriptures to come up with that kind of doctrine. Interesting that only one person out of all the multitudes of people Jesus dealt with, only one person is recorded as questioning the will of Jesus to heal. And Jesus immediately picks that and said, I will be thou clean. And he was. He was. So what did Jesus do in John chapter 9? Jesus did the works of his father and healed this man. Now let's look at another example. Look with me over to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Jesus is in the synagogue. Dangerous place to be. For him. Beginning in verse 10, it says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bound together and could in no wise lift up herself. Now, the Bible specifically says that this was a spirit of infirmity. In other words, this was satanic or evil spirit enforced, an evil spirit enforced condition. 
Infirmity does not necessarily mean sickness, although some translations translate it that way. But it does not specifically mean sickness. But it tells us what the condition was. The condition was that this woman was bent over double so that all she could see was the top of her shoes. Now, I don't know how she got around. I don't know if she's bent over double and she scoots along uh, in that condition or if, if, if it's some other way that people have to help her get around. I, 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 the Bible doesn't tell us that. I don't know. But there's a woman that everybody knows that has an evil spirit enforced condition. That reminds me again of Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. This woman certainly is oppressed of the devil. We would know that just from Acts 10.38, wouldn't we? So here's a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. She couldn't stand up straight, in other words. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Thou art loosed from thine infirmity. It's an interesting thing because this word loosed is also the word translated redemption in Ephesians 1, 7. Jesus could just, this could just as easily be translated, Woman, thou art redeemed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Boy, I guess so. Now for the first time in 18 years, she can stand upright. And the ruler of the synagogue praised God and said, oh, what a wonderful thing. Religious people always get upset when healing takes place. You think everybody's going to be happy when you receive your healing, you better think again. And you better be prepared for it. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, the very idea. And said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. Notice that the ruler of the synagogue recognizes that the healing was a work that Jesus did. Remember John chapter 9? Jesus said, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me. Here's Jesus still doing the works of his father. Jesus said himself, I only do those things I see my father do. Healing has got to be a work of the father. There are six days in which men ought to work, the ruler said. In them, therefore, come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Can I ask you a question? What's this ruler been doing for 18 years that he's known this woman? He hadn't done anything to help her. Hadn't even tried. He hadn't offered any sacrifice for her healing like the Old Testament talks about. He's done nothing for her. He's offered her no help, no comfort, no answers whatsoever. He's just upset because Jesus has done something good for her on the wrong day. Then Jesus answered, the Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Notice verse 16. And ought not this woman, gives two reasons. Number one, being a daughter of Abraham. Number two, whom Satan is bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Jesus confirms that Acts 10.38 includes everybody that he ministered to. He confirms that this woman was oppressed of the devil. He said, whom Satan is bound, lo, these 18 years. How does Jesus know this? You don't see him praying and getting special revelation from God about this lady's condition, do you? How does he know this? 
because he knows the very simple truth that all of us should know and should be completely persuaded in, and that is sickness is always of the devil. Always. Can't be from God. God didn't create it. Where did it come from? It came when the law of sin and death took possession of the earth. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. I want to read to you verse 14. Paul is talking about, I believe Paul is the writer of the book of Hebrews. He's talking about Jesus, verse 9, being made a little lower than the angels, to suffer death, to be crowned with glory and so forth, to bring us salvation. Notice in verse 14, he said, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He's talking about us. For as much then as the children are the partakers of flesh and blood, he also, Jesus also, likewise himself, took part of the same flesh and blood that through death... He might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. So who is enforcing the law of sin and death? The devil. Except Jesus came to the earth and made a sacrifice on the cross for the purpose of destroying him that had the power of death. Now if sickness is a part of the law of sin and death, and it is, it has to be. If sickness is a part of the law of sin and death, And Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death. What power does sickness have over us? Shouldn't have any. Well, if it, why does it have power over us, Pastor Mike? In most cases, it's because of what people don't know. The Old Testament says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Now, don't get me wrong. That's a totally different thing from people that are standing in faith for healing and just waiting or or, uh, standing in in faith while patience has her perfect work. I hate to use the word. I slipped up and used the word waiting. Faith doesn't wait. Faith stands. That may seem like a, a, a small difference, but it's a huge difference spiritually. So there's a difference in standing in faith while patience has her perfect work that you may be perfect in entire. There's a big difference in that and not knowing what belongs to you. Most people fail to receive because they don't know what belongs to them. That's certainly true of the modern day church. Certainly true of the modern day church. Now, people that believe that God makes you sick or God uses sickness, I have a question for, and that is, if God does use sickness to try to teach his people something, as many people claim, where does he get the sickness from? Sickness is not of him. So where does he get it? Well, the only one sickness is is from or is of is the devil. So that would mean for God to use sickness to try to teach you something or any of his children anything in any way whatsoever. That means God would have to go to the devil and get some sickness from him. So that he could use it against you. Does any part of the church world believe that God and the devil are working together? Now, this may seem silly, but it's a real question because that's where the logic of the church, the modern-day church, the denominational church, the religious church, that's where the logic of the religious church takes you. God and the devil would have to be working hand-in-hand to obtain sickness, for God to obtain sickness because it's all of the devil. 
And so if God is going to obtain sickness to use against you, he's got to go to the devil to get it. I didn't know that God and the devil were partners. Did you? Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Here's a verse of scripture that most of the people that believe God uses sickness or makes you sick or whatever. Here's a verse of scripture that most people stay away from. Most people of that persuasion stay away from. We'll start in verse 16, Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. When the evening was come, they brought unto him, speaking of Jesus, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Notice it says he healed all that were sick. It doesn't say he healed some that were sick. The idea that God can heal because he's all-powerful, but he only heals some people is just ridiculous. It's not substantiated with Scripture. That's not the way Jesus operated. And didn't Jesus come to show us, reveal to us who the Father was and is? Well, what did Jesus reveal to us? That God's willing to heal everybody. Now, why did Jesus do this? Well, some people say Jesus did this because he's the Son of God. And the reason it's not happening today is because there's nobody here on the earth that's in the same class as Jesus. Well, there's a problem with that. Several problems is actually. But problem number one is the next verse. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Actually, the second time the word our is in that verse is not in the original translation, the original text. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare sicknesses. And bare sicknesses. Yeah, but some will say that means he bore theirs. It doesn't mean he bore ours today. It means he bore theirs. And the Bible is telling us about how Jesus ministered here on the earth. He took their sicknesses to fulfill what Isaiah's prophecy was about taking sicknesses upon himself. But those people forget something very important. Matthew is not standing there transcribing everything that's happening. Matthew wrote this after Jesus was raised from the dead. He wrote this during the church age. So when he said Jesus bore our sicknesses, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, the hour he's talking about is the hour of the church age, which means you and me. It can't be theirs. If it was theirs, he would have had to say he bore their sicknesses. But he doesn't. He says he bore ours. Who's the ours? Well, he writes it during the church age. Now, some people will say, well, no, that's, that's not what it means. It means that this is the way it's going to be during the millennium. During the millennium, there won't be any sickness or disease because that's the way God will do it. Well, healing won't be necessary during the millennium because the Bible says everything that can hurt and harm man will be done away with. There is no sickness in the millennium. There's nothing to be healed up. There's no sickness to bear in that time. So the only time period he could possibly be talking about is not the time period when Jesus was here on the earth. It's not the time period when Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom on the earth. The only time period that fits is the time period that you and I are in now from the resurrection to the rapture. That's called the church age. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare sicknesses. Now, why did the translators put the second hour in there? Because they understood that the hour is a reference to both infirmities and sickness. They understood that. 
Did they understand that it means for today? Probably not. But at least they were honest to the language. They were faithful to their understanding of the language. And the under, their understanding of the language was that Jesus would take infirmities and sicknesses for the benefit of mankind. No matter what part of mankind they thought it was for, we know that the only part of mankind that it could possibly be for is during the church age. Now finally turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 53 and let's see what Isaiah really said. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Surely, Isaiah the 53rd chapter is, uh, is known worldwide as the Messianic chapter. Everybody understands that it's the Messiah, the sacrifice, Jesus, and the work described that he would do for mankind. It's everything that he accomplished for us on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 4, surely, certainly, Absolutely, in other words, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, the word griefs and sorrows are literally the word sickness and pains. Surely he has borne our griefs, sickness, and carried our sorrows, pains. Now, the reason I say that they mean sickness and pains is because that's what they translated other parts in the Old Testament. The same words are translated sickness and pains in other places in the Old Testament. This is one of the greatest disservices done to the body of Christ is in Isaiah 53, 4. Now, was it done intentionally? Some believe that it was. Some believe that when the translators came to these words that they translate sickness and pains in other places and intentionally translated them as griefs and sorrows, is because they could not accept because of their understanding of God, limited though it was, they could not accept that it was saying that Jesus would take sins and sicknesses upon himself on the cross. Now, I'm not here to judge, but I know that they translated these same words, sickness and, and pains in other places. But if we didn't know that, if we didn't know anything about the translation, we've got a Holy Ghost-inspired commentary in Matthew eight seventeen. Jesus healed all that were sick, Matthew eight sixteen says, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. This is what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Well, what did the prophet say? The Holy Ghost says that he said, himself took our infirmities and bare sicknesses. That's what the Holy Ghost says. Now, you can disagree if you want to. Many Christians do. I just think you have greater success when you agree with God rather than argue with him. And the Holy Ghost says without question. It's almost like God knew there's going to be a controversy. The Holy Ghost tells us specifically that Isaiah is saying that Jesus took our infirmities and bore sicknesses. Verse 4 again, Isaiah 53, 4. Surely, certainly, absolutely, that's what the word surely means. Certainly he did this. Absolutely he did this. Isaiah is inspired to say. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
but he was wounded for our transgressions. Now, I want you to notice the word our. He was wounded for our transgression. Everybody agrees that this is the work of Jesus on the cross. Everybody agrees that. Nobody disagrees with that whatsoever. No Christian church, no Christian denomination, no group. Everybody agrees that this is talking about Jesus on the cross. Everybody that believes Jesus died for us, died for our sins. They all agree that this is talking about the punishment that Jesus suffered for the sake of our sins. Now, notice how it says it. He was wounded for our transgressions. Now, folks, who does our mean? Our has to mean everybody. Or else salvation is not available to any and all who will come and receive Jesus. So there's no argument about our meaning us when it's talking about sins. The only argument you ever get on the word our, O-U-R, is when it's talking about sickness. So it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. Here's the word our, O-U-R again. Our iniquities, talking about sins again. Jesus took punishment upon himself for our sins. And if he hadn't, then we wouldn't have an opportunity to receive him as our Savior, our Lord and Savior. We wouldn't have the opportunity to be saved. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The word chastisement means punishment. There was a punishment that Jesus took for our peace. The word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. It means well-being in every area. It doesn't, it's not just spiritual well-being. It's saying that Jesus suffered a punishment. Now, whatever you think that means is up to you. But Jesus suffered a punishment for our well-being. This word peace is also translated prosperity because well-being means well-being in every area, financially included. So the same verse of Scripture that says that our sins were paid for by the punishment of Jesus said that our well-being in every area of life including financially, not exclusive to finances, but inclusive of finances. Jesus paid a price for that too. In the same verse. Now we get a lot of criticism for preaching prosperity. I wonder if Isaiah got any. Because Isaiah is saying Jesus paid a price for our shalom, well-being in every area. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Who is we? Can we ever mean anybody except you and me? If you use the word we in any context whatsoever, can it ever mean anybody except the person speaking and the person being spoken to? Is it possible? For it to mean anything other than the person doing the speaking and the person doing the hearing. Or reading in this case. Reading and writing. Is it possible? No. It has to mean the person doing the writing and the person doing the reading. It means we. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now that goes back to verse 4. Surely, certainly, absolutely. He was wounded. Or surely he has borne, excuse me, he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. And with his stripes, tells us the punishment, the beating that he took upon himself relative to the cross. And with his stripes, we 
are healed. Folks, I want to finish with one last scripture, and that's over in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Remember, we started with Acts 10, 38, and then we went to John chapter 9. The question the disciples had is, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They understood the connection between sin and sickness. Jesus explains to him it's not individual sin, it's original sin. We saw over in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. Up until that point in time, until the fall, in the Garden of Eden, there was no sickness, there was no disease, there was nothing on the earth or connected to the earth in any way whatsoever that could hurt or harm mankind. Sickness appeared after the fall, after death took dominion over mankind. Notice in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. It's impossible for the law of sin and death to not include sickness because we know sickness is of the devil. We've proven through several different witnesses just in the short time that we've been together tonight, several different New Testament witnesses that sickness is always of the devil. That means the law of sin and death has to include sickness and disease. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, how do you get into the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You accept his word as truth. You accept the word of God that Jesus died for your sins and was raised from the dead by faith. Believe it and act on it. And that brings you into the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Well, what about sickness and disease? You believe what the Bible says about healing and the work of Jesus on the cross to obtain your healing. By faith. You believe it, speak it, and act on it. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Folks, healing is always God's will. It's impossible for it to be otherwise. Absolutely impossible. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. We stand upon your word, Father. We thank you for the work that Jesus did for us that he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Surely, certainly, absolutely, he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Therefore, Father, because we choose to believe your word, in spite of circumstance, in spite of what we see or what we feel, we declare healing is ours. Let's say that together. Healing is mine. According to the word of God, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes, I am healed. By faith in God's word, I am healed. Thank you, Father, for making it so in my body. In the name of Jesus. Amen. That sounds so simple, but folks, if you hold fast to that, there's nothing the devil can do to enforce sickness in your body. May not be instant, may not even be overnight, but it is because the word of God is true. Amen.
Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.